Hi, and welcome to Edge with Dr. Stephen Brown. This podcast series focuses on the story, the personal narrative of Australians who have pushed at the edge. They have been pioneers who are doing amazing things that are a little bit different to the everyday. Sometimes their stories are told and well celebrated, and sometimes these stories are reasonably well hidden. Dr. Stephen Brown is a highly regarded leader in the education sector, both in Australia and internationally. He is the Managing Director of the Brown Collective and has a strong interest in people and getting to know their stories. He has developed this podcast series to introduce you to some of Australia's finest citizens. Welcome everybody to this episode of EDGE. It's my great pleasure to introduce somebody who definitively is at the EDGE, EDGE being space. This person has an incredible uh, career so far, a lawyer uh, with that international mindset and uh, enthusiasm for space. Uh, my great pleasure on this episode to feature and introduce Hannah Rashford. So welcome, Hannah, to EDGE. Thank you very, very much, Stephen. I'm very honoured and humbled to be invited to be here today. This is a fascinating story thus far. Currently, you're the Director of Fellowship and Community and a member of the Board of Directors, the Carmen Project. Tell us a little bit about this project, the Carmen Project. Yeah, of course. The Carmen Project uh, is a relatively young uh, non-profit organisation, so it was just sort of conceived and, and brought to life last year. But essentially, we're an independent uh, and international organisation that really aims to foster first and foremost trust and, and cooperation uh, between global leaders in, in technology, science, business, politics and the arts who uh, first and foremost want to positively impact space. So we really want to understand how that how we can bring people together, you know, across borders and across disciplines to build trust. In, in an industry that, you know, can be, you know, rather political and, um, of, of course, it, it can be difficult to, to build cooperation and, and trust in this industry. So um, we, we're really working to break down some of those barriers and, and connect the, the top leaders and, and indeed the, the people who are shaping the future of tomorrow in space. Um, so we do that, you know, our, our primary activity is to run a fellowship program. So uh, we select 15 of the top leaders in space, um, all under the age of 45, as I said, coming from various industries and, and disciplines. Uh, and we bring them together and really just aim to, to get them connected on that personal and, and very human level. Uh, and then we work with them as well to uh, shape common agendas aimed at, uh, you know, bettering our life on Earth and also using space technologies for the peaceful and, and positive exploration of space. Highly um, credible and aspirational um, in that when I think about the space race, traditionally it's been Russia and the United States and I guess my understanding of this is uh, bridging or providing uh, a point of difference or uh, is that how you see it or is it yeah in indeed so I mean I think I, I do need to preface this that you know I'm not somebody who would consider myself yet a space professional I've just recently transitioned uh, into the field but of course I've had a quite a, an intense deep dive uh, into space in the last you know 12 to, to 18 months but yeah the thing about space is that as you've mentioned there are these these key big players in space 
space. And of course, it, um, you know, space is something that is, you know, linked to sensitive military technologies and so forth. So um, it, it can be political. So again, though, if there is one thing that requires international cooperation, it's space. So for me and, and for the Carmen Project, what we really aim to do is to do our part to encourage and foster cooperations in a field where at the moment it, it can be difficult to, to bridge those relationships. So there are many reasons, you know, it was space as well as is quite a an insulated um, sort of community, I would say. So people sometimes, you know, it, it is it, it, it's full of juxtaposition space. You know, it's it's an inherently risk-taking field where you have to think so beyond boundaries but at the same time um, people can be rather hesitant to to take certain risks because of how small that community is so what we really believe is um, you know coming from this uh, you know basis of of innovation being that um, you know true innovation can really only happen when you bring people together who perhaps wouldn't otherwise be brought together so we want to do that and and make sure that we create a safe space for people where they can first and foremost speak as a person and not necessarily speak on behalf of you know of that company or of, of even that nation as a person who is passionate about space and you know passionate about the industry that they represent within space and give them that opportunity to have a trusted dialogue with other professionals so we operate within the common project under the Chatham house rules which means that you know everyone in the community can can use the information that they gain within the community. And of course, that's the intention that, you know, projects will be born out of this and cooperations will be born out of this, but they can never sort of attribute the source of knowledge so, so that they can really discuss things freely and, and with that knowledge that um, it's a safe space. And, and we hope that in that sense, it can just foster a real sense of innovation and, and new ideas. So, yeah, it's not only about bridging, um, you know, international relationships, but just bridging very basic human relationships. Well, it's an interesting uh, merged uh, reality, and I guess uh, there's uh, quite a significant uh, focus, and increasingly so, in the area of the Australian government, for example, in, uh, seeing as a primary area of expansion in terms of its investment currently in the future. So how do you see the opportunities for uh, our own country of Australia in that uh, broad space, pardon the pun, I think it's a, an incredibly exciting time for the Australian space sector. So um, we recently have um, a new head of the Australian Space Agency who's just been appointed, Enrico Palermo, uh, and he announced recently the aim to triple the domestic space economy to $12 billion in the next decade. So, you know, when you think about that, that's huge. But I think where Australia can can really have um, an advantage and make an impact in the global space economy is that we already have a lot of very established industry here, and there's a lot of you know existing um, you know technologies and um, very established industries um, that can really be leveraged in a space context. And I mean also just geographically, Australia, you know, we're, we're so far away from where a lot of the space activity is in the world. And, you know, already there's a lot of um, international, both private and, and public space companies um, that, you know, come to Australia to, you know, try various technologies and launch satellites. And um, I think that we just sort of sit at this very interesting intersection of industry and geography. And, you know, I think 
space at the moment, it's sort of at this crossroads when you consider entrepreneurship and you look at, you know, Elon Musk and, and all of these um, incredible uh, entrepreneurs that are just totally changing the way that the space industry is working. And this has really paved the way for emerging space nations such as Australia. So um, again, I'm, I'm not an expert in this field yet, but from the amount of activity that I'm seeing in Australia, I feel pretty confident about, about what can be achieved here. And I think it's also really quite promising to see the amount of, you know, investment that both the state and, and federal governments are, are making into into space and you know I was speaking with some of our um, Carmen fellows from around the world and you know some of them are actually have been invited by the Australian government to come to Australia um, to see whether they can expand their incredible platforms and technologies on Australian soil so I think there's a very proactive energy uh, in Australia at the moment and I think that there's definitely a lot of promise for yeah you know the next five to ten years and, and beyond so exciting time to jump in. Yeah, from your more informed um, viewing point rather than mine, um, typically from a general public like me, I see the Bransons, the, the travel, the commercial, the entrepreneurs. I see the telecommunications, the satellite. I see the uh, strategic positioning of security and various armed forces, etc. So where do you see within that? Is there other things that um, you see emerging of the common good or things that people are looking at, you think, wow, that's uh, quite an interesting take on product and services that are enabled in space or by space? One of the reasons that I'm so drawn to space, I mean, I think this is something that I've really had to stop and, and challenge myself about a lot recently. So I wasn't a kid who grew up, you know, dreaming about space or, you know, begging my parents for a telescope or anything. You know, I, I had that normal childlike fascination with the stars and um you know I remember hiking up to the Banya Mountains to watch comets and and you know doing the normal amount of stargazing that any human child does but to me space always seemed rather intangible and that's why I think I've really had to take the time to reflect on okay why am I jumping into this scene now and I think one of the biggest things for me um, which comes back to your question is is that I really believe that space is uniquely positioned to solve some of the most time critical challenges that we have on Earth. And I think um, before I became too involved in the space industry, I was, you know, one of these people that sort of wondered, you know, why are we investing so much in space when we have so many problems here on Earth? But, you know, indeed, what I've realized is that space is so much closer than we think and it does impact every single you know almost moment of our lives on earth and you know I think that when it comes to providing connectivity and bridging the digital divide you know when it comes to using space technologies so for example Starlink is really changing the game uh, in terms of providing connectivity to the world so um, which will ultimately provide education and um, increase socioeconomic you know livelihood and benefits to the world and then you look at earth observation data um, and and how that can be used to mitigate the effects of climate change. Um, you know, on that note, there's also a lot of brilliant companies that are looking at um, our Australian wildfires and how we can sort of use space technologies to map out and um, predict and prevent um, wildfires from from spreading in Australia. And then, you know, there's you know some of our fellows are, are looking at using Earth observation data to reduce the amount of water used in agriculture. So, you know, I, I've just realised that space is omnipresent in honestly every sense of the word. 
And I think that it's really trickling into so many different industries. So, um, yeah, it, it's difficult for me to pinpoint, you know, just one thing that I think is um, where it has impact because I think the truth is that it's having impact on much more than than you or I even realise. So Fascinating. Um, take me back, Anna. Take us all on a trip to think uh, with your sister uh, growing up and... Uh, your sister's a doctor. Um, you're now working for the Carmen Project and being fascinated by space. So maybe talk about if there is one uh, particular defining moment or you can go back and say, well, that was the point where I thought, well, this might be something I need to pursue or it might have defined you in terms of who you are. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate when I look back to my childhood and I actually think when I hear certain songs from my childhood I, I just have this incredible feeling of warmth and nostalgia and I think that's a great indicator of, of how happy my childhood was. Um, you know I grew up in in a very supportive family with lots of love and play and also a very hardworking family so um, both of my parents they've worked throughout their entire lives and both in, in different fields uh, you know dad being very involved in, in education and also um, you know very grounded in, in social justice and then mum has uh, you know really contributed to many different businesses and, and accounting pursuits throughout her life and then as you mentioned my sister is a doctor so we are a family that are all you know very different in terms of our personalities and interests uh, but we're all very common and, and grounded in our values and you know, I grew up in, in Queensland, so I was born on the Sunshine Coast and then spent a lot of my childhood in Emerald. And I think, you know, that was an, a great place to, to spend, you know, those those years where you do just want to be free and explore and, um, you know, ride around on bikes and not have to worry about all of the more intimidating aspects of the city. But then I suppose I was rather fortunate to then move to Brisbane and, um, you know, be based in the city uh, for all of my, you know, more formative education. I was a kid that absolutely loved school I you know would be full of energy every day when I got to go to school I loved high school I think I've always had a, a thirst for, for knowledge and learning and I think that's something as well that was very instilled in us as children is to you know not take that education for granted uh, and I think that's something that both Courtney my sister and I have um, yeah re really pursued throughout our lives and and made sure that we that we reflect on and and you know sometimes of course you you know we're, we're human we complain and and learning can can seem like a burden but ultimately it's been the most empowering thing to both of us so I think as well that the privileged background in which I grew up was something that I was always certainly aware of and, and grateful for but it was perhaps something that I only really became properly aware of when I sort of flew the nest and, and moved to Berlin so um, in 2015, my partner, Michael, and I decided that we wanted to, to move to Berlin, uh, which was, you know, rather uh, naive in hindsight. So we decided to move there, having never been there. We didn't know one person in Berlin. We didn't have any jobs. We didn't know the language. So, yeah. And I mean, I would say that, you know, when it comes to pinpointing, um, you know, the most transformative experience of, of my life, it would definitely be um, Berlin. Yeah, so you left um, school and you 
journalism uh, and law and the legal fraternity and then set off on this adventure with your partner to Berlin. And uh, why was it uh, transformative? I guess I can sense something, but why? As you mentioned, Stephen, I, I studied law and journalism at university. So, I mean, during the dual degree, I was there for about five and a half years and then I did my grad year and Throughout that time as well, I was working um, at a wonderful law firm in in Brisbane City, uh, and I stayed with that firm for about five and a half years as I sort of progressed um, into the role of a lawyer. I mean, I actually loved that job, and I was in the litigation team, and I found the advocacy of law incredibly fascinating, and I had, you know, this wonderful boss who was so supportive, and in one sense, it's a job where I, I could have definitely seen myself remaining uh but somehow you know I was in my mid-20s and I just sort of thought you know I wanted I wanted to try something different while I had that freedom to do so so we decided to move overseas we were very broad and and vague about where we would move and (laughs) and I was interested in in Germany and you know Berlin had this reputation for this incredibly vibrant and energetic and um, you know free city and I think that's what attracted Michael and I to Berlin. When we moved there I would just say it was probably the first real hardship that we had experienced so yeah as I touched on before you know both Michael and I were were very lucky to have to have grown up in very stable um, and supportive environments and then you know we found ourselves uh, moving to Berlin as I mentioned, we really didn't have any foundations when we moved there. And it took us a lot longer to get settled there uh, than I think we had anticipated. And I remember, you know, this one night we found ourselves literally living above the bunker uh, in which Hitler had taken his own life. Um, so, you know, which as well as being incredibly, you know, awful and, and creepy um, was just a rather... Um, difficult apartment I would say you know we had a hole in the roof through which snow would fall and we had a little bucket there to collect the snow um we couldn't find jobs at the time um we had actually just been robbed so everything we'd brought over from Australia with us had been stolen and um our savings were rapidly dwindling and and I remember just lying there in bed one night and we were just honestly crying um and and as I said I think it was just this moment of of this first proper hardship that we had to face and I don't know whether it was naivety or pure stubbornness we decided that we wanted to push through and stay um, and that was, you know, honestly the best decision we ever made because from there I think that's when we, you know, both were able to make leaps and bounds professionally and, you know, that's where I I was able to envision a life beyond being a lawyer and, you know, I was introduced into this whole world of startup and innovation and I, I got a job as a happiness manager. To be honest, I just thought it was hilarious at the beginning that, that such a job existed. Um, but then I really found that there was you know, a lot of, of legitimacy and and power in, in being in a job where where it was all about bringing together um, people and from an interdisciplinary background and, and working with them to, to find avenues for collaboration. And, you know, through that, I started exploring um, the power of professional community building. Uh, I then moved into my job at Factory Berlin, which was just this, you know, incredibly vibrant community with thousands of the best entrepreneurs and minds in, in Europe. Uh, and, you know, I was given quite a lot of responsibility at quite a young age, which was rather terrifying and, you know, really hard. But it threw me in the deep end and um, it really made me confront 
you know, what my values were. And um, it made me sort of reflect back to a lot of the learnings I had from my childhood about always being, you know, purpose driven and values driven and, um, you know, reflecting on, you know, my need to remain authentic and, um, you know, remain empathetic even though I was in a very um, sort of intense and male-dominated environment and there were there were so many elements of, of being in Berlin of you know entering a totally different industry and, and a different discipline living on the other side of the world from everything I knew and you know all of these things together just um, sort of culminated in in this experience that ultimately just put me on a path that I really never never could have expected. Part of um, you obviously shines through in terms of those values. Um, when we talk about uh, family and uh, our life experiences, our education, um, obviously forming and being informed by those things. If you were to say, you know, all of those trials and tribulations of Berlin changing, if you reflect back of all your life and your times of good times and security and challenging times, what are, what are three core values to Hannah Ashford? You think, well, this is me and uh, this is what sustains me. I, I think that is a really, really tough question. And I think certainly I feel like I am in a very transformative period in my life. But I think in terms of what what is really stuck, for me, kindness and empathy uh, are values that I think really infiltrate everything that I do and I really believe that you know these are also values that I think are underrated in in a professional sense and I think that people tend to equate kindness uh, with naivety or with weakness but you know again in in my experience and I've only been in a, in a leadership position for for a short time and I'm at the very beginning of this sort of leadership journey but I really found that treating people with empathy and really trying to get to know people, as people and, you know, not take this cookie cutter approach to, you know, okay, this is how I will deal with the team and this is how everyone will operate, but really try to understand the person for who they are and what their ambitions are and what motivates them. And I, I really found um, that I, I was able to, to connect with people and, and have, you know, much greater success when I was able to just approach people with, with that empathy and really take the time to understand who they are and, and what they want in life. Uh, and I think in that sense, um, you know, again, when I was in Berlin, and I think this then probably attaches to the third value of mine, which is authenticity. Uh, so I would say my natural disposition is is to be quite sort of, you know, smiley and, you know, rather gentle. And, and I like to, you know, still bring humor to my days and not take things too seriously. And, you know, again, working in, in environments like law and the startup scene, which can be quite serious and, and again, traditionally more male-dominated industries. Um, you know, as a young female, you tend to, to try to adopt more sort of serious sort of attributes when, when you're operating within those environments. And, um, you know, I was told, particularly in Berlin, in, in my first job that, you know, yeah, I was too gentle and I was too kind and no one would take me seriously. And so I really then tried to adopt this more sort of bulldog attitude and it just didn't work for me. And I, I didn't feel authentic. You know, I didn't even think that I was performing my job properly when I was just trying to be this person that I wasn't. And um, I think learning from, you know, that young age in these formative years of my career that being authentic and, you know, being kind and, and 
bringing empathy into everything I do and every relationship that I form, it works for me and it's the best thing that I want to do. And so, yeah, I think that that those are three things that really drive me. And, and also I would say curiosity. I think I'm an inherently curious person and I never want to stop learning. And um, I hope that I never lose that energy. Wow. I really concur with those core values and your, your sense of curiosity. I guess when we look at the story coming together of um, your interest in space, and that's going to continue, I understand, because um, congratulations. Yeah, it's only natural. You were awarded a wonderful scholarship. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? And uh, it's very exciting, a great acknowledgement for you, Hannah. So tell us a little bit about that. Indulge us. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I was still pretty overwhelmed. Feels pretty wild. Um, but yeah, I was I was just awarded um, a scholarship to the International Space University, which to be honest, I didn't even know existed until a couple of years ago. So it is a university that was founded in France. And uh, what they do is they run each year uh, a program called the Space Studies Program, which is an interdisciplinary introduction to space. So they accept between about 100 to 150 students each year from all around the world. It's a nine-week intensive course. You live on campus, so it's, you know, back to the real uni lifestyle for, for a couple of months. Uh, and you are introduced into the basics of, um, you know, everything to do with space. So space engineering, robotics, space ethics and law, policy, space entrepreneurship, uh, humanities. So understanding the philosophy of space and, you know, the history of human curiosity of space. So I'm, yeah, I'm incredibly blown away that that I was accepted. But, you know, I really hope that I can bring some value as a non-space person, you know, coming into, into the space sector. And it appears to be a beacon for sort of attracting very purpose-driven and curious professionals and, you know, that opportunity to exchange with people and, um, you know, students and experts and thought leaders from all over the world and, um, you know, such a hands-on environment is intimidating and terrifying but also honestly one of the most exciting prospects that that I've had in a long time. And, you know, I also hope that it can help me to, to gain focus and, and understand you know, where and how I can have the most impact using my skill set in the space industry. So, um, yeah, I also hope to find that that mentorship through the network. So, yeah, hopefully if Australia lets me out of the country during these, these of course, tough times with the pandemic, um, I'll be heading to France for a couple of months in June. So we'll see. <laughs> well, that's an amazing achievement, Hannah, and uh from behalf of so many people, uh, great acknowledgement. And uh, from our, us looking at that, no surprise and uh, a natural uh, stage of development. I guess in part you've answered uh, the next question in terms of what do you want to achieve next, I guess. <laughs> that uh, wraps into your, your program and your fellowship or scholarship. But broadly speaking, I mean, uh, you know, you have a... a course that values an interest in a whole range of other issues so what do you want to achieve next? I think ultimately I would love to to understand a way where my my skills and passions in space can also intersect with a long-standing passion of um, Indigenous rights which is something again that my father has been been working in throughout his career but you know I'm, I'm still trying to, to understand exactly how how that can sort of intersect in the future but in terms of the next um, sort of immediate steps I would say 
I'm I'm just sort of going on this journey. And you know, actually, one thing that the the founder of the Carmen Project, um, Helen Huby, who's a, an incredibly you know inspiring and fascinating woman, and and someone who's become quite a role model and mentor for me. Um, we were speaking and, and something that stuck with me that she said was that, you know, your 20s are all about sort of exploring and, and exposing yourselves to new ways of, of thinking and, and understanding your passions. And then in your 30s, you can really do what you can to become an expert in those fields and in those passions. And then from there, it's understanding how you can master those and create impact. So that's sort of this um this focus that I like to have where it's not so much focused on the outcome but rather that journey so really what I want to do is figure out how how I can do my part to be an agent for change in space and understand my impact as a non-space person coming into the space field um you know I really believe in the mission of the Carmen Project uh, and the impact that we can have in creating a safe and trusted environment for key leaders in space. You know, I, I believe that where I can add value would be to, you know, act as sort of this, this facilitator uh, of interdisciplinary collaboration uh, and, and also really act as an advocate. So, you know, hopefully one day I can also inspire others to consider deviating from this sort of path of normality or onto the edge as as you would say and and just really consider you know jumping into an industry like space that can be so rewarding on on a professional but also a very inherently human and personal level so what a wonderful uh, journey in all sorts of uh, levels um hannah rashford thank you so much for sharing your story uh, it's been an intriguing uh, quite fascinating one from emerald to outer space, things legal and uh, all things terrestrial. So uh, congratulations on if I was to pick out careers that uh, people are looking at and engaging in, that probably is not an area where I would have a direct relationship. But as you know, it's uh, so, so important. Um, and thank you on behalf of so many for bringing authenticity to the discussion. and. Um, your natural curiosity. So thank you, Hannah, for your contribution to Edge, and we hope that you keep pushing those particular boundaries. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for your time and also your support and your curiosity in this field. It's it's really inspiring and, and also appreciated from my side. So thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. You can follow Dr. Stephen Brown on LinkedIn and Twitter on at Dr. Stephen Brown One. Please join us next time for another episode of Edge.